So yeah, so what's up everybody? I'm just excited. I've been retired for about, I don't know, a year or two. <laughs> they had to bring me out of retirement, bring me off the bench, COVID free, and uh, do some uh, structural work to a foundation on the property. So it, I'm excited. We just got that approved. So I actually got some content to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. From a very positive standpoint. So but we're just know. waiting. We're just waiting on Reggie and our special guest. Yeah. I just, in the, in the I meantime, her, she said she'd be in 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Okay. Yeah, yeah Reggie's uh, being Reggie. Right, Reggie's yeah. being Reggie. So what's up with you, man? How'd y'all call go? How'd your call go this morning? Let's talk about that. We had a call to contractor. We didn't have it yet. We, so okay. There was no confirmation. I was Thank you for being available. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have brought that up. No I, didn't, I didn't know. No worries. <laughs> but all right, well, let's, let's talk about Alex, you being an investor. What you been doing, man? Staying COVID free and still being a real estate investor. Well, man, uh, there's a lot of fear out there in the market. So, I mean, as uh, Warren Buffett always says, that's the best time to start getting hungry. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And hey, man, I'm, I'm super hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm eating all day. Right, right. All day. I'm constantly texting, emailing. I went and looked at a property this morning, talked to Christina about that. Uh, and it's so crazy. This is the last time this happened is when we had, we really achieved our, had our wealthiest moment. It wasn't the most money, mm -hmm. but as far as- Like exponential Yeah, growth. you know what I'm saying? Exponential growth, but also from a profit and loss standpoint, like our expenses, our profits way exceeded our expenses because we got super aggressive, man. I'm gonna do the same thing now. And so just so happened, I went to check on this property early this morning and I couldn't remember how to uh, look something up. So I hit Christina up and she remembered. and. Uh, and so she looked it up and I found out that something that we would normally do like digging in the space, we, we would have to go get an additional permit for. Mm -hmm. So I said, man, so I went back to the agent. She's probably watching now. She follows us. I said, you know, I got to do all this extra work. It's going to be extra holding time. I can't pay what you, what you, what your seller wants me to pay. Right. And she was like, wow. So she actually asked, well, you did for, for your construction. So, I did. I went through A to Z. A to Z from, they already had it demo, but the basement height wasn't good. It's a bunch of structural damage. The rear addition is separating from the house. So I tell her, I give her line by line. Every As if I was doing a draw schedule, she was like, whoa. Okay. Well, they, she said the seller turned down a bunch of other offers. Maybe more. Uh, the seller turned down a bunch of other offers that, uh, that, uh, that she had presented that were lower than ours. And now I'm coming in lower than our initial offer. She said, they may not accept it. I said, well, this is where I have to buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was crazy. She could sense how excited I was when we first talked about the property. I talked to Christina, Christina like, that's too much. Like, that's crazy. She probably put it in all caps. Yeah, right. And I said, I know, but I got to, you know, I got I to gotta get control. So yeah. so the is cool, though, man. She's cool. She's super active in the market. And I told her, I gave her the, the, the triple your income situation. I said, look, you know, you help me get this. It's your, it's your listing. Yeah. So... Consider that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, so we still working. The deal's not off the table. It's actually a good property, uh, much like the ones on Jefferson that we did, but a little larger and on Beck Street. Okay. On Beck Street. So I think we I think I'd like to do it because the construction isn't too extensive. So we could definitely get it done. Um you say there was a question or something, Christine? Yep. Yeah, what's the question? Hold so on, feel man. free to ask any questions on Zoom or IG Live, wherever you're at right now. So Nadia asked, with the current situation, are realtors still able to show properties? 
And what about home inspectors and appraisers? 100%. So I had an inspection Monday. When I had a home inspection? Wednesday. Monday. Wednesday. Wednesday. This week. This, this week. week, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> I had a special Wednesday. They come, he had this mask on uh, and uh, gloves. I, I had one a day. Had a special today. Same thing. Gloves and mask on. Um, I, I didn't have one because all our guys are cool, so I already knew, I already knew that. Um, but, and realtors are still showing houses. Uh, one thing I actually let you guys know, when the, when the cleaner came and cleaned one of our properties, she let me know I disinfected everything. Anything you can touch. Knobs, countertops, sinks, everything. Mm -hmm. She hit real good with some Lysol and everything. Wiped everything down. So I think everybody's just being conscious. And if you talk to some of the top agents right now, like one that we have listed one of our problems, she said that she's busy. She's, she's busier than ever. So, there she is. So, you know, that's, that's what we got to do. What's up? What's up? How are you? How's everyone? Social distancing in the month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Angie, nice to Hello, meet you. Nice to meet you. Hello, How are you, brother? Good, good, good to see, see you, man. Good to see you. 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 All right. I got a good gift for you too. I got a yeah. I got a talk about it you got it. I got a gift. For you. I I can use a gift. Yeah. I'm all for gifts. So while we waiting on Angie to holler at people, so the question was, um, you know, how are people getting around? Inspectors are inspecting. They're just being more conscious. The realtors are being more conscious. Us as homeowners and investors, we're doing the same thing. Make sure we clean up very, very detailed wise every day. I wasn't aware of that. It's all good. So basically, that's just what it is. I mean, the people that are afraid are not the people actually in business. So you got to kind of lose that fear and get a little aggressive because we are. You know, I, I'm actually, and it's good. And then that means you may need to talk to the people in the know to really see what's going on. Like, listening to us. Like, we are really transacting business. We just put a $900,000 house in the market yesterday. Um, is that mine? Is that? <laughs> it was way more. It was way almost twice that. Okay. Um, and we just we just constantly working, regardless of the situations, but just being more conscious. So, so yeah. So the agents, I mean, it's, it's happening. The market is still moving. It may be a little slower, but prices aren't dropping. And actually, one agent hit me today and just said about our list to say, you know, where's your virtual tour? So, Beast, I need to make sure you get that done because uh, she said, you know, we still. She said they make your offers off of off the virtual tour, even on the finished products. Mm -hmm. So. They're not worried, man. They didn't, she didn't say, oh, we got this virus, the price too high. She was like, I love the renovation. I need a virtual tour. I got some clients that would love it, but they may not want to leave their house. So or they may be sick. Talking about Dakota? Or yeah, 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 South Dakota. So we need to get virtual tour on that joint. Right. Stitch something together for that. So, so definitely, man, you just got to find other ways of doing business. No question. Yeah. Um, someone said they read Bank of America bought a bunch of homes. How do they, yeah, right. But how do you repair a bank owned property for profit? Is it any different than any other type of property? It's the same thing, buy low, sell high. That's it. You got, you, what you, what you do is funny. We talked about this last week about motivated sellers. Motivated sellers are always banks. Banks make no money owning property. Right. They make absolutely zero dollars. They make money lending money. So they would much rather you come buy it from them, even if it's a dollar, and they take that dollar and lend it. 
a thousand more times. That's where they make their money. So uh, real estate owned, call it REO, real estate owned, bank owned properties are definitely the way to go. Um, you just, you can either look on, normally Bank of America definitely has a website with a list of their properties, but a lot of times their properties are in MLS as well. And you really won't know who the seller is until you actually make an offer, but just pay attention to it. If you know some addresses, look them up, find out who the listing agent is and make an offer. I mean, it's, it's just the best way to go. Buy low, sell high. Okay. And Trinice is also asking, what do you think will happen to the market following the pandemic? It's kind of what we touched on before. I, I think because rates are low, payment structures are pretty much the same as they were a couple of months ago. So we didn't really lose too much. I think maybe four or six months later, we're going to see an influx. I don't think it'll be a boom, but it'll be a seller's market because everybody waited. They, want, they waited, you know, because my kids ain't in school. I'm at home with them. I don't have no daycare. If I move now, it's going to be too much. That's cool. But then they're going to all be ready at the same time. Where normally right now is what we normally see it starting to beef up as the weather breaks. But now it's going to be when the weather calms back down, all the people that were afraid now, if they made some money back, got their stipend from Trump and all of that, now they're going to be back pumping. So you got to, I say, look now. I, I, I say, look now. I don't think, like for us and other investors, even other homeowners, they're not worried about what everybody else is doing. As long as your money's still tight, buy. Got to buy. Right. Okay. Any other questions? Not at the moment. No. Right, cool. Good. So, Angie on the mic. Yo. Welcome. Good to see you. Welcome home. We missed you for a few months. I know. It's good to be here. Yes, good indeed. to be, be back home. So, what's up? How you doing? How you been? I'm doing great, man. I actually, you know, I was, I'm glad that we got a chance to do this because I think um, as an investor, as a homeowner, you definitely have concerns about your investments if you have, if you're currently in a deal. Um, which we're currently in a deal and you're like, you know, you may not panic. I think good investors don't panic, but you can have um, a fair amount of a healthy amount of concern. That's right. And you That's should right. always have a little bit of concern about, you know, what, what the potential change in direction could be That's right. prepare uh, accordingly. That's right. So it's, it's, I like the way you phrase that, that concern, because, uh, Reg and I were looking at the stock market the other day, just looking at how topsy-turvy it was. Yeah. And then we compared some stocks and prices where they were and where they are, how much money you would have lost if you would have invested uh, $1,000, $10,000, $50,000. <clears> it was ridiculous. The losses were crazy. Mm -hmm. But investing with us, the losses are zero because mm -hmm. you're in it for the longer run, mm -hmm. for the consistency. So it's like, okay, I can invest in Trump's stock market and make 15 16% annually maybe on average mm. or i can invest in a real estate investment and i can get 10 to 12 percent consistently mm -hmm. year round year in and year out mm -hmm. and so that's one of those things we try to teach like definitely pay attention to it if mm -hmm. you're investing especially like a project like our million dollar project we got to make sure that our comparables are tight mm -hmm. and that particular market is not dependent upon interest rates right. uh uh the uh jobs things of that nature it doesn't matter when you come in and buying one of these products if you had the money, you don't. Because yeah. you're not. They put, that's a million and a half dollar problem. They're going to put down five, six hundred thousand when they buy. They're not yeah. financing a million and a half. Yeah. So those folks are the government employees, mm -hmm. are the other investors. They are, they're the higher net worth that this market, they don't depend on that. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things we really target. And also, 
the location. We're right on Capitol Hill mm -hmm. with the project we're doing together. So you can't beat that. That's yeah. a always, highly sought after area with very, very few properties ready to be purchased. So yeah. that's what made me say I would invest in it. Yeah. And that's there what made go. me say this is a good, a good project to get on. But I also want to ask, because this is probably going to turn into me interviewing nah, you guys. That's cool. That's I love, cool. I love talking to you all for the time. First time we all got together, it was a great conversation and we've, we've continued to grow our relationship. Right. So one of the questions I have is, has construction been held up as a result of, you know, uh, the, the coronavirus? Question. Like, what do you find? Because, you know, for flippers and everybody, time is of the essence. That's as soon right. as you get into the deal, it's like, we're on a clock. That's right. You know, so do you see any, any project slowing down as a result? No. That's far, so we were really worried last week, I'll be okay. honest with you, because we thought that they would close Home Depot. We thought that they would mm. close the retail uh, supply houses, uh -huh. but they were deemed essential because they not only provide construction material, they provide cleaning materials to, to cleaning businesses, uh, okay. as well as to the government, the police force, and things of that nature. Because, you know, retail businesses aren't always just what you see from a storefront yeah. standpoint. They got a lot of back-end stuff that they're doing at a higher scale, but they may be shipping pallets of bleach to you know, soldiers and things, they can't shut that down. Yeah. So that worked to benefits us. What they also did was they made residential and commercial real estate development, construction and sales essential. Because if you stop that, in addition to closing some of these retail stores, the market's going to tank. Like we will hit a depression. Right. Because that, because people still need somewhere to live. People still need places to rent. Like you figure some of these, if you look from a rental perspective, some of these Section 8 lists in these different uh, areas, they're full. You can't even get public assistance because it's everybody needs it. Yeah. So I think by them deeming that essential, it was, don't get me wrong, I had to wipe my brow, I was looking every day, yeah. just waiting, just rocking, like, what's going to happen? So what they really did, so the major slow up is Home Depot closes at 6 p.m. versus 10. That That's the only difference. So you got to be on your P's and Q's right. as it relates to like ordering material and things like that. But even some of the other supply houses that aren't mainstream like that, they're open for business over five or six in the morning, ready to rock and roll. That's good. So I don't know um, how heavy you guys are as far as the buy and holds, but do you have any buy and holds? Would you be concerned about how a lot of local governments are saying, hey, you can't evict people right. in the next 90 days? Right. Which, And then with stimulus checks coming out, you know, the idea is that they would contribute their money or put their money towards the rent right. or whatever. So do you have any, I know, you know, a lot of times we don't see the fallout immediately, right? right? Yep. It might take a month or two right. or a couple of weeks. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Do you have concerns as far as people not being able to make rent? Right. And and are you prepared? I know a lot of times I know with my rentals, um, you know, I have to consider, you always have like your, your little bucket of money right. in That's case, right. Right. You're yeah. just in case, yeah. or yep. vacancies and things that you got to right. change. But you know, this seems to be a lot. Uh, this is, it seems to be like it could be three months someone yeah. doesn't pay. Yeah, no doubt. And there's nothing as a landlord that you could do. I mean, I guess you could ask for mortgage assistance yep. or something, you know. So, so you, you hit. On that? So you hit. So all mortgage companies, even though investor loans, are relieving payments for at least 60 days. Okay. So, so you, get, you get some reprieve there. And I believe that what they're doing is, some are doing, adding those payments onto the back end or they're putting you on a payment plan where you pay a portion each month over a period of time in your next in your payments thereafter. Um, so that's one way that that can help. The uh, However, hopefully, as an investor, like you said, you're prepared for that vacancy. Normally, are you prepared for three months vacancy? Uh, 
Not really. Yeah. I think we normally factor in a month or two per, <laughs> per year yeah. because if you may have tenant turnover and things of that nature. Right now, that's one thing we're experiencing. We were already in a tenant turnover status on three of our projects, on three of our properties. So we're kind of prepared. We redeveloping them, getting them ready. Mm -hmm. But I would say it could stink. I couldn't imagine if I was just like a nine to five person that had a rental property that I used to live in, I moved out, yeah. and I'm so used to them paying that mortgage for me, yeah. and I wasn't profiting a lot, it could be a hit. Yeah. So I would definitely say that what they should do is reach out to their mortgage companies, let them know what's going on, even if they, even if the mortgage company didn't know that it was initially a rental. Because yeah. that's another issue, like we may live in a house, yeah. move out, and not change the type of mortgage that we have. Yes. However, you still can get relief because your income has changed. Right. So it's based on income, it's an income-based thing. So. You tell them, hey, my income has changed. I'm not making as much money as I was because of the virus. I need some help and then help. I think they, they're they making, the government is making them help because as much as the government has helped the banks. Yeah. No, that's true. We're going to see how it, how it starts. To, oh, you got a question. Yeah, I got a question. Uh, when purchasing rental properties, how much improvement is too much? Do you target certain areas, kitchens or bathrooms, and just make the rest livable? 100%. You make, number one, you make it safe. That's the best thing. The best thing on any rental property, any rental property, safety is number one. So you make it safe from an accessibility standpoint, from moving around, from you know plumbing, electrical, HVAC. You want the property to be safe. Number two, you just make it clean and neat. Like nobody, like number one, you aren't living there, and number two, you need to have you need to be under the perception that you're extending an opportunity to someone that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So because of that, if it's clean, neat, and new, it doesn't have to be stainless steel out, branded it out, things of that nature. It can just be nice, clean, new cabinets, new carpet, paint, or just new flooring. Whatever it takes to make it safe and neat, it'll go. It'll go. Now, do we target certain markets? Definitely. I always look for our rentals close to any subway, close to any metro station. Because <laughs> the anticipation is you're targeting either a person that's low income or has poor credit or just doesn't want to buy so you need to offer some other incentive to them to make them want your property over the other. And having a high demand, a high interest in uh, public transportation, you can't beat Those properties rent like it's no smart. Okay. And someone else asked about the inspections. Like you said before, you had an inspection today. Yeah, had an inspection today, and it went well. Right. Uh, and, it's, 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 <laughs> and, it, and it's for you. It's your inspection. Let me get it out. Uh, that, that's what, yeah, this your project? gift. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, wow. This is your Tested all the um, the structural support, all the rebars, make sure we had the right depth. So we're rocking and rolling. So we'll have one more of those, and then we can start doing the addition. That is awesome. Yeah. That you is don't have awesome. to have one every number in the sequence. So what you do is you do hold on, like the ones and three. What is underpinning? Okay, so <laughs> investment we have with Angie, we are 
doing a rear addition and a top addition to the property. In order to do that, since it's low bearing, we have to reinforce the, the uh, foundation. So you actually have to underpin, you have to take the existing foundation and go underneath it. So you dig down deep and you, pour, you, you put some structural reinforcement, some steel, and then you pour concrete on top of that. What that does is that increases the uh, bearing capacity of that foundation to hold the house up and its new additions. So the, the issue is, what makes it difficult is you have to dig it by hand, number one, because of the size of the properties, the areas we're working in, you really can't get a machine in there without damaging stuff. So you dig it by hand, which takes time, and then it has to get inspected. But you can't just dig out the entire house. Because if you think about it, if you dig out the whole house, it's gonna fall down. Mm -hmm. So you dig it out in sections. And you normally mark it in five sections. And normally that's five inspections. But if you dig out certain strategic areas, you normally can get it done in two or three inspections. Multiples of five, of five. Right, so yeah, so areas. that's a good point. So yeah. you, and then that's sequential. So it's, you gotta do, let's say for example, I think our order is one, four, five, two, three. And then you repeat that over and over again in a square, in a rectangle around the property. And you dig your ones out. Normally you can do your ones and your threes because they're not next to each other. And, but we actually did the ones and the fours to give it a little more space. And I think we did one, five. But that's so that's what you'll see here. That's what he marked oh. in, what was a, the underpinning segments. Yep. So he dug all those out, had the rebar set up, had formed set up, so we put the concrete as nice and square and level, and uh, he came by and approved it. We also dug out the rear. So we're doing a rear addition too, so we dug that out. That was a lot easier, because you just dig that out and put the rebar in there. You don't have to go as deep. And uh, as long as the soil is a certain capacity to handle a certain amount of weight. So he came and he checked the soil capacity, he put the uh, concrete in canisters so that they make sure that's the right capacity and um, proved it. Man, proved that's it. great news. Yeah, so this, you could have came with that a better week. This is yeah. great, I know. Yeah, timing was, was, was inevitable. So it's, yeah. So we, so the house is COVID free. So you can keep it pushing. <laughs> <laughs> so we put in new certification. So we put in like some elementary terms, just like Jenga. Yeah. But right, you got the three Jenga four tests. Yeah, yeah. And you can't just pull out all three. Nah, just show it up. You pull out the middle one, yep. do what you need to do, yep. put the middle one back. Yep. Then you can pull out one side, yep. do what you need to do, then pull out the other side, put it back. Yep. So yes, it all stays perfect. Yeah. So, how do you guys feel about because our timeline on this project is like summer, summer ish? Do you feel good about your timeline? Do you feel like it might have to extend so, a little bit? So, What's this? This is we're March or April. We're in call it April. Yeah, we'll call, call it. it April. Ideally, I, we wanted to be done and started to get on the market like right after Labor. I mean, right after Memorial Day. Gotcha. When you and I first talked. Right? Yeah. Right. So we're probably a little bit past that. We're right. still in the summertime. We're still in the summer. I think we might hit July. Okay. Um, simply because, like I said, this process. Luckily, he they we we I did it strategically for a reason because I may be able to get this finished with just two inspections, mm -hmm. which I'll be able to have. So Monday, they're going to call and say, hey, your concrete is packed right, you mixed it right, go ahead and move on to your next segment. Mm -hmm. We'll dig out those segments, set them up, and then he'll come out for another inspection, let's say Wednesday, Thursday, next week. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, when he does that, I'm going to have all the other ones dug out. Yeah. Because I'm actually going to, what we're also going to do is brace the walls so that we got some additional support, and then if he approves them all, then we'll pour them all that day. Yeah. And then if we pour them all that day, then we're done. After that, nothing holds us back. All the other inspections are sequential, which we can do in succession over, you know, a couple of weeks. And then after that, we're throwing it up. 
Gotcha. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to like so the people that are watching and learning. So you see like these guys are like the experts, brilliant minds, they know their stuff. And then there's like me who doesn't know a damn thing. I know I know I know how to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. You can have a conversation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So just to like give people an understanding of like what I do and what I'm into. Um, I have always been into real estate investing for forever, like since I can remember. Um, and but I never knew how to start. I never knew what to do. And I didn't. I wasn't around real estate investors or real estate people because my family is full of CPAs and um, financial advisors. Mm -hmm. And financial advisors are always going to steer you away from real estate because they'll say, "Well, let's go with a REIT, which is a real estate investment." Why is that? Because I don't have to get my hands dirty. No, you know? why, why would they steer you? Because <laughs> it's a product. You know, it's a product that they're exactly. selling. Hey. Yeah, they yeah. get money. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. So your financial advisors are going to steal you away from, steer you away from actually jumping into it. Because yeah, you can get into a REIT, um, which is a far less risk in a lot mm. of cases. Um, but your money is going to be a lot smaller if you have a small amount you know so but it was a good opportunity for me to learn and, and so most of my life of investing has been via mutual funds via uh, 401ks things like that and they have served me very well over the years but i believe that true diversification can include a real estate portfolio right so if all of my money is in the stock market um, when it goes down, which I know it'll go back up, so I don't worry about it because I've invested during the recession and seen um, extreme gains since 08, 09. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I'm ready to retire and all my money is in the stock market, the stock market is where it's at right now, mm -hmm. you're going to oh, be yeah. more reluctant to pull, right? Because you know, mm -hmm. okay, I need to wait until it comes back up. Where Let's say I had a lot of money in the stock market, but maybe I have some buying holds. All right, I can't pull right now, but at least I've got rentals coming in. Yep. So I'm a big fan of in the stock market. I think they both are extremely beneficial. I think that you can pull from one to invest in the other and pull from the other to invest. And that's true right. diversification. That's so even my mutual funds, right? That's diversified. You put your money in it, they spread it all out. Okay, you take their fees and all that, but it still grew way more than what I would have been able to do in a bank account. Mm -hmm. At the same time, what I learned to do was take the money that it makes and then as it reached a certain point, I dumped that into something else, a different investment or build up my savings, things like that. So back to real estate, I really knew I wanted to get into it. And then it was hard to find a mentor. It's hard to find people that either really know it. Those that I, I found, those that really knew it were reluctant to share information. And there was one guy I was willing to, like I offered, because I saw like maybe you can offer free services, like mm -hmm. offer to go get the paint and supplies. Right, right, right. I did all that for this one guy and he still like, he didn't want to give me the key he's an older man and he was nice you know and i don't and i didn't take it a, you know personally i don't know what his experiences have been but i found that even offering free services or saying look i just want to learn it didn't quite give me where i wanted to be so anyway i knew that like as far as finding construction people things like that that was difficult i was it was hard for me to find contractors it's hard for me to learn how to analyze and find a deal it was hard for, for financing. All these things I couldn't quite understand. But one thing I do understand is having money, looking at a deal, 
and putting money towards the deal. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, I'm learning where I fit in in the real estate ecosystem because yeah. this, this a, it's a true ecosystem of people that can do so many different things. And I talked to Reggie a lot about lenders that you're talking to and what is this lender offering you or how do you make these deals with that lender? So I found that my real interest in um, even what I think is going to be an incredible skill for me is in the lending side of it, where I can watch a project grow, uh, but I may not be, in, I'm not in charge of construction. Yeah. I've got to fully trust in the both of you um, to, to accomplish it, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, so I think that for anybody that's interested in real estate, there's all kinds of ways that you could be in the ecosystem of it without necessarily being what you're seeing on tv or you know things of that nature it's just like the more you get into it the more hands that i shake and the more people i meet the more i can see and it's crazy how a deal just being in the deal flow so i would listen to this one podcast of bob johnson for bt and he talked about like how people we have to get into the deal flow and he said basically you gotta if you want to make a deal you want to get something you gotta be around the people where you're going to get something yeah and um, so it's crazy that literally I meet you guys, we have these conversations, we're building a relationship, and then I just so happen to just be talking, and next thing I know, an opportunity comes, and it's right. like I happen to be ready to contribute, and it was a, it's a large amount of money, it's a bit, a million dollar project, but I realized that that's what I want to do too. Right. And so um, taking that risk and being able to evaluate the deal, because we went through evaluating the deal, mm -hmm. and going through to make sure that it, that yeah, you're taking a substantial risk, but you feel good about the risk because of the location, because of the market, because of uh, the plan, you feel good about it. So it's like, I feel like this is one of many deals for, for us. Uh, and Thank I appreciate you guys for bringing me on to the project and offering it. Because I'm sure you don't we just you. offer to anybody, especially for something like this, you want to make sure right. you have the right people in yep. What What impressed me about you was you didn't just trust, but you trust, but verify. So I remember in our second meeting, Angie was like, how you gonna get like a million and change? Like these are the comps I found. Yeah. They all 900,000. Yeah, I found it. They all 900,000. What am I missing? Right. And it was the additional square foot. It's yeah. about 1,500 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I missed the This one is only three doors down, or this yeah. one is one block away. Yeah. Where are they pulling these numbers from? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's crazy. Even the houses, they are like in the 900s. It's one, it's two doors down from us. I think it's 14, 17. I think they're like 14, 21. And um, they, um, the house is nice, $900,000 house, but it's actually just okay. Yeah. Like, even though they, they, didn't add, they didn't add any square footage enough, but just looking at it, I think what I really liked about their problem is they got the exposed ductwork like we do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's just like, eh, they got yeah. 900 because of location. Right, right. Yeah, but and, the guys, and the guys five doors down, I gave them our floor plan, and they just went through a refinance. Mm -hmm. And their appraisal came in 100000 more than ours. Yeah. The same square footage. Yeah. But our appraisal was older. Yeah. Oh, so okay. the updated numbers had the appraisal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's pumping over there, man. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The construction over there is crazy. I mean, like I said, we're not the only ones out there working right now. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. On that block, the next block over, 
I mean, we, we actually sold the house right down the street on Potomac Avenue. I mean, it's legit, the value is coming. Mm -hmm. And it's so crazy. I'm glad I want to segue into something since we got you here. Now that you're a part of taking, and especially an area that used to be very well depressed, very yeah. crime-ridden, and now super improving it, yeah. that would make you a gentrifier. <laughs> well, how do you feel about this? That is terrible. That's a disgusting word. Um, listen, I, I'm a, I think that what goes up must come down and things change. I think there's a lot to be addressed in, in D.C. Um, when it comes to gentrification, like I think what I've seen as far as, you know, as when you're on the radio, you service a lot of times the underserved. Right. So you see like and then it's crazy because being on radio i talk to i'll go from the mayor and uh the the head of housing right so you hear their side yep. and then i'll go in the neighborhood yep. and i'll listen to the people's side and it's always like two completely different stories and you're like dang how do we bring those bring those efforts together yep. and i think what happened language is such an important piece when it comes to figuring out things, right? So the first part is changing the language and the meaning behind some of, the, some of these things. Because again, to me, when I think about gentrification, it is this idea that you're just pushing people out. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know the circumstances of how we acquired this property, but I assume you all didn't go there and, and have, a, and, you know, do a bait and switch on somebody or, or lie or, you know, what have you. Um, but we know that those things happen. Um, and I've talked to different financiers, I've talked to different real estate people. In, in some cases, I've found people have worked with the developer mm -hmm. to redevelop a piece of property that maybe they couldn't maintain on their own. And then they get to live in one of the units and the other units are cash flowing. And between them and that developer, they're making money. So I think what happens in terms of the word gentrification from a negative standpoint is, again, like lying to people, deliberately mm -hmm. right, deceiving people. Um, that's to me where the where the term gets really ugly um, and and that can understand how people will feel that way but I think if you can if you and the problem is a lot of people just didn't have that education and that yeah, knowledge right. right so both my parents are from DC um, Northwest okay so my dad's family grew up on 16th and V Street and which is prime real estate we yeah. still have my grandparents home both of them are deceased, but 16th and V is prime real estate. And they're not going to sell it. You know, mm -hmm. they have no intention on it. Um, and then there's my, uh, my mom's side is further up, um, off of like Longfellow and near South Dakota, near, um, not Union Station, what's my, Fort Totten. Yeah, okay. We on okay. Fort Totten side yeah. and almost like Tacoma Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did one could, of Longfellow last year. Yeah, yeah you could like cross over, so there. They're near that area, and they still have that house, yeah. family houses. And I think a lot about, okay, my aunts and uncles know enough to say, nah, we, we won't sell it, or we know how we can benefit That's from right. it. That's right. But then they had, my dad speaks a lot, because in the, his neighborhood was really rough because they got burned down in the race riots. Yeah. Um, well, when Martin Luther King died, and there was the riots down there in D.C., so he grew up a little tougher and he spoke to how like, you know, the families to the right and the left of them on the other on that street, you know, they suffered from alcoholism and drug abuse and things like that and it passed down. So 
you know, when, when the neighborhood started to turn and his family, you know, they're all older, his friends, you know, they were selling them houses. Like, mm -hmm. forget it, I'm out of here. They mm -hmm. took it and <laughs> either gambled it or drunk it or, you know, relocated. They didn't, they didn't mind, but a lot of that was, they didn't understand the value of it. At the same time, my family thought, they say today, dang, if we would have just bought up these houses, yeah, they were super yeah. cheap, we could have bought them. But they didn't know that yeah, today. They didn't mind, know so, that yeah. things were going to change the way they changed. So, you know, in terms of gentrification, I think neighborhoods change and grow. I think the learning aspect of it is key, like education and, and knowing how these properties, if you can keep them up and afford to pay the taxes on them and things like that. That's another part of gentrification, yeah. right? Is yeah. cranking up taxes yeah. on, on people and they can't afford it. But again, I didn't, I didn't necessarily do that, but I identified those as issues that yeah. should be confronted, that should yeah. be discussed. But more importantly should be, how do we educate our, those communities to say, hey, you can actually keep this property and it can benefit you in this way. Or that way that goes back to financial literacy and a yeah. bunch of other things yeah. but i think gentrification in the word it has such a a tough it, it just has a really negative connotation for so many people who again you feel like you've been left out of this we're beautifying and we're selling mm -hmm. like you said you selling a house that once upon a time was that whole area yeah. was yeah. crazy yeah. now it's a million dollars you know i never thought in the 90s you couldn't tell me that was no, gonna be you know no, these houses. yeah even I my grandmother's house, all, all the houses like my other my aunts live in northeast off of uh near Benning Road, minnesota yeah. and yeah. off dick street yeah. you know they did they had no idea they, i just talked to my aunts and they were like you know we got white people in the neighborhood yeah. Yeah. and they said but you know it's nice that this, they've diversified she said the police are always open yeah. Yeah. <laughs> changing language and everybody being able to have a proper discussion about what's going on and for those who are, have been negatively affected how do you address that and what do you do um, to make sure that that doesn't continue to happen so let me speak to that so one of the, the major issues is I don't even I, I, it's, it's financial literacy it's, it's understanding a language that's foreign to you mm -hmm. but it's also patience mm -hmm. and that's one thing in our community that we that we've never preached. It's always, you got to go get it, go get it. You see an opportunity, you got to go get it. And I think that that has hurt us mm. when it comes to real estate. And I'll give you the example. The house that we're working on now that we have with you 
We bought it from a young man whose grandmother died and left it to him. Mm. So I remember at Selma, I said to him, you sure you want to sell this? Because he told us the story. And I was like, you really want to do that? Like, I didn't mind not buying it. Because right. I'm thinking, man, you are, and I even said, well, we could do a witch. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We could do a witch. And I'm explaining it to him. He's like, nah, I, I, need, I, want, I need this money. Mm. I'm like, this money is going to be ex exponentially higher later. <laughs> and they are actually, from that same, from the real estate agent that represented that guy, we bought three of his other buddies' grandparents' homes mm. from the same thing. Yeah. Whereas for us, we purchased my grandmother's house, but we did it ourselves. And mm -hmm. what we did was we did it in a way to assist my family and care for my grandmother who just turned 96 the other day, by the mm -hmm. way. And That's she's in a home. It's just expensive as hell. Yeah. So what we did was we added some longevity mm -hmm. to my grandmother having a high level of care in her, in her later years. Absolutely. So it's a, but, ha but it still took patience. Yeah. Like my mother and my aunts had to understand, okay, okay, we understand what you guys are saying. Okay, that makes sense. Because if they put it, would have put it on the market, they would have sold it to somebody else for less. Yeah. And they wouldn't have had any longevity. Money would have ran out a long time ago. Yeah. So it's it's the opportunity versus patience, and and then getting that knowledge and that understanding that what type of legacy will this leave for me, mm. my children, my family, so that we are still a part of this neighborhood. Mm. Because there are still a lot of people that are part of the neighborhood, and they can go to the mayor and to the uh, mm -hmm. DC uh, housing finance and all that other stuff and get some assistance with taxes, renovations. Mm -hmm. I mean, DC offers a host a lot of programs. programs. But, yeah. but again, you got to come to the meet. Yeah. So that's... again, that requires patience. <laughs> you got to come, you got to come, you got to talk to your ANC, yeah. you got to talk to your um, commissioner, you got to do some things that are going to be adverse to what we've been grown to do. Yeah. But that's what it takes to get ahead. Yeah. And, and a lot of people too, you know, one of the, when I do bring those those things, because that was what was always the issue for me. I talked to the government, but they talk, talk about all these programs. But then I would talk to DC residents, and sometimes they would say, well, this program, uh, either I didn't qualify for the program for X, Y, and Z reason, or I qualified, but they're going to make me, they said, I can't move out of the property ever. No. I can't rent it ever. Yeah, <laughs> like, that seemed, that doesn't seem like a great deal either. I don't know if I would have advised them to go with those types of programs. But there are, you know, to your point, there are all these different things. And what I noticed too in our communities, especially with women who have multiple, a lot of children or, or you know, they have multiple children and they're holding down their households. A lot of times um, factoring in the timing to get to the meetings, factoring the timing, it, it becomes a bit, a bit much. And when you don't understand it, like how many of us have you ever bought a house? I remember my first property. I had no, I, I signed, I don't remember how many pages I signed, mm -hmm. but I know I did not read every page. Yeah, yeah. And all I yeah. signed, I don't think I read yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> to be honest, I probably haven't read it. Yeah, okay, yeah, the one thing I do remember is that settlement. the settlement. And I remember <laughs> at the end, it shows how much you will pay over the next 30 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, that for too. So I knew that. And I saw that and was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, and, but, but outside of that, a lot of times it can be intimidating. The, the whole process can be intimidating to people who aren't um, knowledgeable or don't have somebody with them. I know for me, it was my dad. He's, he is my financial expert in my life. So, you know, if he looked at it and said it was okay, I was willing to do that. But I know a lot of people that don't have someone that can help steer them or give them that mm -hmm. advice. And so they're kind of left to, to either figure it out or, you know, they don't, but I do believe like you said like 
the same way we can we make time for things that we really want to make time for so if you really want to get into a home or something by any means like you you got to find a way to make that time and go that extra step because it's only for a short period of time really it's just to get the information get the knowledge maybe fill out the application and then move on um you know but yeah i think we got to find more ways in our communities to to get to make it our point to be at these meetings make it our point you know one thing i respect my us for is they they're keeping all the homes in these things because they're like we want to be a part of this and that's what it comes down to for them that's home for them so they they don't mind having these new white neighbors like they actually appreciate the extra safety right (laughs) their neighbors right like anybody else um but to them, they felt it was very important to stay in the neighborhood because seeing that made them say, nah, we need to stay yeah. so we can have a vote. <laughs> like, it was like, we still want to be able to That's vote. Right. So, I was at the Bullcoming game. I was yeah. at a guy's house, uh, like a block and a half from Benning World Metro. Mm. Oh, and okay. I'm talking to him. He wants to sell, he wants to move to Brandywine because he wants to hunt. Yeah. And he wants land to hunt. Yeah, and so I'm talking to him, and he's standing on his porch, and he's like, yeah. The whites moved in over there. <laughs> and I was like, no. The whites? <laughs> <laughs> call them Lululemon. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. He was like, yeah, so, you know, I don't want to sell, but I'm not doing it to the time of the thing that. So I want to pay my next house off. Frank yeah. Claire. Yeah. You take the proceeds from here. And I was like, he was like, my kid don't want it. I'm going to use the extra money to contribute to my grandbaby's college fund. Yeah. Like, that's, that's still, that's still, yeah. that's, you know, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Everybody has their own ways. Everyone has their own motives and meetings meetings for for the decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. I think it's really unfortunate when we we bottle one person or we take one circumstance and make that the face of all circumstances. And I think, um, you know, again, you two are a testament of like seeing, that's what I love, seeing two black men who were very knowledgeable and knew what they're doing and just seeing you guys do it because you know when I watch people like you who are successful they're all they're white people like I'm like oh, okay or when I do see people buying I've, I've seen uh, Asian people go in the neighborhoods and buy and flip I've seen you know you don't really see black people like actively participating in um the opportunities not saying they're not you know because I knew they were but a lot of times I would, that's just what I was saying and a lot of times they have they created these groups and they have these access to funds and money and they they're up and rolling and I, that's why i feel like you guys are really building building something special with the meetups and with all the different people you guys have been meeting and connecting with yeah like this is important it's important yeah it, it, it was a little sad the whole corona thing not to be able to have a meetup that's something yeah every month we miss two up right? so well, we miss no nah, we have february what's oh, march we miss march yeah. we miss what was that today yeah, yes, it would have been today. Yesterday. 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 some like rapid rapid fire questions for you guys but in the case of lending and finding money which is always kind of the big issue like how do i find the funds for the flip what do you guys look at when it comes to a lender 
Like, how do you guys decide this is somebody I want to um, to use? Because when it comes to hard money, I know there's a lot of them out there, but they're not all good. No, so and what they're you, all what not good criteria? for different reasons. Okay. Um, and Marcus can touch on some of these too, but we it usually has to be by way of referral. So we have to know somebody that's actually closed a loan with them before. Okay. Um, and we'll talk about that process. So, you know, how, how quickly could they close? Were the funds available the day of settlement? Um, some lenders are notorious for you're going to settlement and everybody thinks it's good. And it's not like the retail world where the bank is already wide open the funds. They just kind of, because they want to get the loan documents back first before yeah. they send the money. And then a couple of days could go by. And so that seller is like, where's my money? Mm -hmm. Right? But your interest started from the day you signed the papers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. my interest started and I don't have the money yet. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Can, can, can they close? Can they close on time? How much paperwork is necessary? How much documentation is necessary? How mm -hmm. rigorous is their underwriting? Compared to the interest rate they're going to give me. Mm -hmm. So what's the best interest rate I can get for the least amount of paperwork? Okay. And for the shortest amount of time to close, it's always like an equation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Then once you close, because a lot of them can't close, when I get work completed, how fast until I get the money? Mm -hmm. How fast? How long will it take for me to get that money when the work is done? So mm -hmm. I call for a draw. Say, hey, I just did twenty thousand dollars worth of work. Why me over twenty thousand? Right. All right, I got to order this inspection. Okay, do you have your own inspector, or are you mm -hmm. on like third party? How? What's the response time? <laughs> Days go by, did you get the report back? You know, and some lenders are just faster than others. Some lenders you'll know from the day I call in that draw, I'll have my money in three full business days. Yeah. Others is just like, I don't know. <laughs> or I might not get it. Because yeah. hard money loan documents are not mm -hmm. governed by like banking regulation. Right. They are like commercial lending is not really regulated like that. Yeah. So those documents really give the lender the ability to be like, you know what? You said you drywall this thing, and I'm standing in here, and I see drywall, but I don't think it was done properly, so I'm not giving you no money. Yeah. Am I right or am I wrong? Are you right? 100%. You know what I mean? So it's like, you yeah, know. It could put you in a bind. A bind is understatement. <laughs> yeah, it could put you out of business. Right. right? So I've had calls from other investors who say, man, you know, I'm dealing with this lender. What have you heard about them? You know, I put in for this draw uh, two weeks ago, and I still yeah. don't have it. Yikes. And I'm just like, you know, make, a lot of times lenders, hard money lenders, get their money from somewhere else. Right. So that entity or person or institution may not have funds at the time. Mm. Or right now, the market is taking a turn. A lot of those back-end entities are based on Wall Street. Mm. And so it's like, hey, no more lending. Right. The next, the next stone to flip over could be, hey, we don't have money for draws for the next two weeks. Mm. That could happen. Mm -hmm. It is very conceivable for that to happen. There are a lot of lenders that just flat out are not lending right now, mm. but they have loans on the books. So if their investors need money yeah. for draws. Let's say twenty investors need fifty thousand dollars in draws all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a million bucks. Mm. I did that math right, right? <laughs> so if they don't have a million dollars just sitting and they have to say, hey, these 20 investors did $50,000 worth of work. Let me get that million so I can pay them out. Uh, well, we broke. Yeah. But we don't have the liquidity right now because mm. that means we're going to have to sell a depressed asset 
that has taken a dip these last couple of weeks, and we don't want to sell yet. We want to give it an opportunity to recover before we cash you out. Because if we sell something now at a million that was two million two weeks ago, you know what I mean? Three weeks ago, like we really taking a two million dollar loss when that market comes back, not a million dollar loss. So I'm waiting to see if that happens. It hasn't happened yet. I put in for a draw about a week ago. We got the draw. It was like 90 some thousand. But that's one lender. We deal with a few. So we'll see. So ability to, to answer your question, ability to close. How fast to fund the draw? And then it's just like little administrative stuff. You'll get lenders all the way from just a guy who has a lot of money in his retirement account mm-hmm. or who has pulled together money from his buddies and family all the way to big institutions with 50 to 100 employees mm-hmm. that do loans nationwide mm-hmm. for fix and flips. A couple hundred to a thousand employees and, and, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of um, their ability from an administrative side to process what you need done as an investor. Even all the way to when I'm ready to sell it and I need a payoff, mm-hmm. how fast you gonna give me the payoff? We ready to, there have been cases where payoffs are there way, way in advance and other times where it's like, hey, it takes five days to process a payoff unless you wanna pay, you know, $700 expedited. Mm-hmm. You know, things of that nature and, and everything in between. So it's just, it's really the communication. Who's gonna communicate with you proactively and what are your thoughts on the, the more private, the small, the small players? You know, like you said, like the person with the four hundred one k, or someone like myself, or because my I I would like to create kind of like a fund with my my people that I know have money, and we can do more deals. What are your thoughts on the smaller, you just, the little the, fish? I love the little fish. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you provide they're able to play. They're able to play in this market that normally was reserved for mm-hmm. institutional money. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and and that's great. I mean, I would say definitely form it with like the end in mind. Like we want to raise X amount of dollars. This is going to be our underwriting guidelines, and we are not going to deviate from it unless the market goes down. Then we're going to bring them down. But we're never going to say we're never going to value property on what it can be. We're always going to value it on what it is right now. If it was, you know, so if it's a row house and it's going to be four units. What are those four units selling for right now? Mm-hmm. Are we in a market that is predicted to increase over the next year? Okay, but we're going to go with that value. If we're in a market that's predicted to decrease over the next year or two years, then we're going to take that value and add a function of it of 95% mm-hmm. or 90%. So we're only going to lend this. Mm-hmm. You just got to bring more. So whatever your guidelines are as a group, just stick to them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I would say. Um, and never overextend. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, have uh say you got a million bucks and you got nine loans out at a hundred thousand a piece mm-hmm. and you got that hundred thousand have like liquidity requirements mm-hmm. also that we're at any point in time we are always going to be 25 percent of the outstanding loans we got out there we're keeping that money in cash mm-hmm. yeah we could lend it out to try and get high return but we gonna need this money in cash because we never know what could, Corona could happen. Corona is like the most unexpected. Yeah. You cannot account for in any deal analysis that. that. that a corona would and, what, and we don't still don't know what the impact is. Yeah. You That's still don't know what the impact is or, or is going to be. Yeah. Like It's like a trip now. First the market. What's crazy about Corona is most times when people hear, oh, the Fed has, and if y'all talked about this already, you can cut me off. 
So a lot of people heard the Fed cut the rates like zero, mm -hmm. so that banks would be more inclined to lend money, mm -hmm. preferably at lower interest rates. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of consumers who think that that triggers that that is mortgage rates. Yeah. No, mortgage rates have an inverse relationship with the bond market. Mm -hmm. And usually when the stock market goes down, people are like, and I'm selling my stocks and I'm gonna go more conservative. I'm gonna buy this bond fund. <laughs> that didn't happen mm -hmm. with Corona. Stock market went down and bond market went down. Mm -hmm. So when bond market goes down, interest rates went up. Mm -hmm. I had a property where we were selling it. We were supposed to go to settlement about a week and a half ago, but I had to wait on a vacant response from DC. I had to get it out of vacancy status back into the normal tax status mm. before we could go to settlement. Otherwise, my settlement costs would have been maybe $10,000 more than what they should have been. And the buyer would have had to escrow real estate taxes for $10,000 as opposed to the normal tax of like $4,000. And they weren't willing to do that. And then lender was like, oh, well, that's going to make the DTI go up. And no. So we had to wait. While we're waiting, all of this stock market happens. All of this decline happens. Mm -hmm. And their lock expires on mm -hmm. their interest rate. Thanks. And so they're like, we were locked in at 3.5. Mm -hmm. Now to get 3.5, I got to pay 10 Gs. Who's paying in that 10 Gs? Dang. <laughs> Luckily, they had a great lender who had a little bit of, I guess, maybe fluff in there. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I'm willing to make nothing on this deal. Mm -hmm. And I'll reduce my points or my internal costs or whatever so that they can keep their rate. But that was like a, a real example. A three point, they could have gotten 4.25 for no money. So it went up three quarters on them in like a week and a half. Mm -hmm. But their lender kicked in 10 so they could buy their rate back down to the 3.5. And now you're good. And now you're good. But <laughs> now, you know, a buyer who may have been on the cusp, who doesn't have a lender like that, who may have been on the cusp of even qualifying, now they can't qualify for that loan that they were right on the borderline of qualifying for. And so it just kind of moves the pool of buyers. You know, it like shifts, yeah. shifts it down. So let me jump in on that, Reyes, because you, something you say kind of contradicts what I said earlier. You, you really don't pay attention. So I, I said to Angie, you know, we don't know what the trickle down is going to be, but they did lower the rates. Mm -hmm. So, but what people really need to look at, and that's one of the things I know you always did as a loan officer in one of your many jobs, is <laughs> you, 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 you preach payment. You preach payment. Oh, yeah. Because that, that's what they need to understand. Like, okay, they saying that they lended more money, the Fed said the rate is at zero. How much is this going to cost me now that that has changed? Will it cost me? you know, 200, 300, 400 more dollars, and can I afford it? So what I was saying was, before the people that are ready to buy and want to buy, it's not going to matter. Yeah, it's because not going to matter. It's not going to matter because they're going to have the resources like that loan officer, or they're going to have a relationship with a seller like for us, for example. We had a situation, Angie, a couple of years ago, we renovated a house on East Capitol Street, sold it to a couple, and they liked working with us so much, they let us sell their house that they were moving from. Okay. So it's a situation where if if something like that would have happened then, it still would have been a benefit. Like we may have had to lower the price over here to make mm -hmm. money over there. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the importance why I have a platform for like this and knowing investors and lenders like you and things like that, is you can find places in these resources as well as community programs to kind of inject that in there so that if a slight market shift or even a major market shift happens, you still have the resources to still get the deal done. Yeah. Because those that want to play, they're going to play. Yeah.
No, easily. Do you guys still consider, I know after the two homes I have purchased, I have a completely different outlook on um, calling homes assets versus liabilities. <laughs> and even over just time in general, um, and learning what I've learned in my little bit of years, um, what people call and identify as assets and liabilities, I just, I, I've rethought all of that. Okay. Um, and that's because I watched in the recession people's assets go into foreclosure left, right, up, down um, for all kinds of reasons because they had predatory loans, because they had lost their jobs, uh, because they couldn't keep up with the payments or something ballooned on them, all those types of things. So what are you all stuff? So I feel like as black people, be, because of the history of black people in America and the ability to obtain ownership, um, for us, home ownership has been considered like this big accomplishment. Like I remember how good, how good my family felt that at 22 I had bought my first house. It was an accomplishment. Right. And over time when I would talk to like people who really had money, they were buying homes. Their thought of a home was an investment. So even though we would say, well, it is an investment, right? Because you say it appreciates. That's what technically makes it an asset. Um, it seemed like when I spoke to people who really had money and got it, it was like they wouldn't, because I bought both my houses brand new, right? So there's no equity in the house. Yeah. But I didn't care about that. I wanted to get what I wanted to get. And mm -hmm. I didn't, at 22, I didn't even know about equity, interest rate. I didn't know none of that. It was just the idea that I could I could get this home and, and, and be have something that, you know, for your family, this is yours. It's your home. And I realized this ain't really my home. Like, I can pay it off. Don't let me pay them taxes, though. Right. Your house is gone. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it made me rethink the way I go about purchasing homes in the sense of, I started saying, well, next time I start buying a, a house, the next time I buy a house, it should be under the understanding of it being an investment, which doesn't mean I have to live in it. Like, I saw, I've met people that own all these houses, but they rent an apartment. They live in an mm -hmm. apartment, and yep. they live in, like, they rent a really nice house because all the homes that they own, they're renting out because they're not looking at this home as this is an accomplishment. They're kind of saying, this is, um, you know, this is going to cover this bill. This mm -hmm. covers so-and-so's tuition. This covers mm -hmm. this. This covers that. Mm -hmm. So what are your personal thoughts on, like, home ownership and, you know, buying Buying a house, do you still feel like it's this great asset to have? Let me go first. So, one thing that Reg and I always do, because you buy every house like it's an investment. Every single one. I, I even think that both of us, even our very first properties, even though we didn't know we were doing it, we mm. bought them like they were investment. Mm. Probably because we had good loan officers, good realtors to preach payment to us. So I need to make sure I pay what I can pay so that I can pay. You know what I'm saying? So I'm only going to pay this amount because I don't want my payment to be over this amount. Not knowing that we were actually purchasing equity at that time. Um, so even now, the same thing. Properties that we live in now, it's the same way. We bought it like we're going to flip it, even though we might right. live in it for a little bit. Right. We know nothing is our forever home. Right. Like, if we're not the baby boomers, we're not living here forever. <laughs> we're going to buy it. At some point, we're either going to sell it, refinance it, right. give it to So we're going to do something. <laughs> some We're going to make some financial move with it. Yeah. What that has enabled us to do is 
especially being investors, sometimes we won't have the large loans. We have to pledge property as a, as a collateral. So sometimes we got to cross collateralize a lot of personal property to get a larger loan. It's, it's enabled us to do that. We've been able to do lines of credit against the properties. We've never refinanced for cash out and then still rent them out or live them. So it, so it just gives you, when you approach it like it's an investment versus just this symbol of pride, yeah. it'll put you way ahead of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important to for people like if I now like when I meet people and they're telling me about buying homes as a first, I say just approach it like it's an investment. Approach it like you know, in three to five years, what what can I possibly do with it? Do I want to use it as a personal bank? Do I want to, like you said, refi? I do. I want to sell it and flip it. Do I want to use it as a rental? Um, so yeah, that's why because I just I learned in my first place that an asset can quickly turn into a liability if you did the like one wrong thing or you had um, just a bad something bad happened and mm -hmm. people couldn't recover. Mm -hmm. um, but the the way that it happened, especially in the recession, and we know there were a lot of bad loans. Hell, I had a bad loan. I had a countrywide. Um, 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 that got sold to the Bank of America. 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 Whatever the purchase price is, plus renovation can be no more than 70% of what it's going to be worth. Right. You should buy every house like that, including okay. your baby boomer forever house. Yeah. Every house you buy, including ones you're going to live in, should adhere to that rule. Um, not to put my baby sister on blast, but she just bought an Oak Creek. Oh, brand new. Yeah. Right. She, and she, she texted me and was like, because I told her you lived there. Yeah. And she's a big fan. <laughs> yeah. And she probably watched it. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, is Andy still living in Oak Creek now that she down at ATL? <laughs> and she, and she right. I was like, I think she got it. Yeah. I was like, if she did, if she didn't sell it, I need to know what realtor. If she did sell it, I need to know what realtor she sold. Right. So, um, but I was trying to convince her and her fiance, let's buy something. Like, even if you're not gonna adhere to that rule, let's buy something <laughs> way below what right. you qualify for. True. Way below. Yeah. Below. Yeah. So let's look down 202. Maybe the house was built in the early 80s, just been renovated. Yeah. You know, but it got the bear on. But you know, I me and uh my wife have this theory that all baby sisters, they in like a club together. Like two <laughs> princesses. They okay. they want what they want sister. when they want. I'm a baby sister. <laughs> and I we do, call yes. it the baby okay. sister. Okay, maybe. So I my sister was like, I'm living in Fairwood yeah. or Oak Creek. Yeah. <laughs> So she did, but thank goodness she used to live in Watkins Place. Okay. She still got a spot over there. Okay, we in the right? same boat. In the same boat. The same boat. She yeah. actually saw a picture of me and your cousin. Thank you for sending them to the meetup. Okay, yeah. 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 Shout out to Jay. I think he's yeah. watching right now. Okay. He said I'm asking great questions. And she was <laughs> like, uh, she was like, she sent me a picture. It was me and him talking in the hotel lobby. She was like, how do you know him? I think he used to live in my neighborhood. Well, and then I explained it to him, to her. And he owns multiple ones in the neighborhood. Yeah. See, he got, yeah. he was smarter. Like he, so I told you I had analysis paralysis forever mm -hmm. so like i will talk to him all day about you know what do you think about this music? Right. and he'd be like that's a great idea but i just wouldn't do it you know but meanwhile he was doing it right so 
he saw when the neighborhood was going down that that was opportunity. opportunity. He took advantage, so he's doing really yeah. well. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, and she I, was able to buy over there when it was still depressed. Right. Okay. So she got when a good you couldn't deal. get an FHA loan yeah. and stuff like I think that. He's still like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they need to join up and go to that them board meetings. Yeah. Like, no, like you said earlier. He's on the board. He, 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 he's smartened up in the sense of like, I think seeing that, like he's now a part of, you know, the, um, he ran for a position. Oh, did he? Yeah, so okay. he started going to me because he would tell me what's happening at the okay. meeting, you okay. know, which was important. Gotta get so, it, FHA. As soon as they get, so no, that is the best value in the county. Come on, Washington. Square, square footage to dollar. It's like $100 a square foot. Okay. Is what so, it is. So I got to hold on to it. You got to hold on to it. As soon as this FHA approved, it's going to be like 150 a square foot, 130 a square foot. Yeah. Right. Them, 200, them 220s, 230s are going to be 320. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think that um, I, I agree with Marcus. If you buy it, if you buy it as an investment property, you'll be, you'll be, you should always buy it as an investment property and or by way below what you mm -hmm. qualify for. Okay. And and always think, like you said, with the five years in mind, the six years in mind, can I rent this out? Even if it's my dream house mm -hmm. and the worst came to worst and I had to move, mm -hmm. can I rent this out to cover my note? Right. Plus HOA or condo fee, stuff like that. And I think over in the neighborhood you move from, it's at the point where you, you know, people who have bought, if they had to move or wanted to move, mm -hmm. the rent. Like covers the note. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's very a very strong yeah. So one of the things I also want to ask you guys about is the idea of refinancing and the bird, um, the bird concept. Yeah. Okay, because we've all, I mean, a lot of people look at like bigger pockets and things like that. And you've learned about the whole bird method, and me and James talk about this a lot too. And my sister, who started like she's in New Jersey, like they own New Jersey, right side of, right outside of New York, and she's seeing how. Her, the area that she's working, that she's in, um, has changed or is in the process of changing. Mm -hmm. like all the older people kind of dying off, investors are coming in, this and that. So we, we constantly talk about this whole bird thing. But the thing about bird that really, that's, I always get stuck at is the idea of the refinance okay. and how everybody makes it seem like the refinance is just so easy to do. <laughs> what are your thoughts? How easy is the refinance? Because as someone who's purchased homes, like it's difficult when you're purchasing a home, all the okay. data and all this stuff you got to give them. Uh -huh. What? How quickly do, can you refinance? I've never refinanced before, so I don't quite understand the process, but it definitely doesn't seem as easy as, you know, people make it seem. Like you just, right. I'm going to buy it low, throw some money into it, refinance, that's how I pull my money, money out, back. Yeah. Do it all over again. So can we speak to that process? So, so for that, we actually... When we had the the uh, we had the uh, downfall back in 08 and 09, that's when we really went hard with the bird process. I mean, we really hard because you could buy so low, do a moderate renovation to hit a certain appraisal point, mm -hmm. but because you bought low, the refi actually was fairly simple as long right. as you had the right documentation. So really, what what allows you to do the bird is having a multitude of equity, whether it be 20% or more, mm -hmm. after your renovation. So after your total cost of ownership, your purchase, your renovation, if you have 20% or more, you can refinance fairly easily as long as you had, have, I think, 90 days title sequence and you had to own it for a few months and then have some supporting um, rent rolls, have to pool with a property for rent pool in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. If you have some experience with that and also, you know, with your... Um, adjusted gross income that does come into play because 
any event that somebody can have my right. But it doesn't, as long as you have those things in the room, you're pretty good. So, so let me get, you got a question? Yeah, can you just recap the whole burn method? People uh, know what you're talking about? Uh, okay. You want to recap? No, I'm not. <laughs> to like the 30 to 90 days like seasoning so every lender has different requirements okay so you got to know what your lender yep. requires yeah or maybe it's not so much you know there are different variations maybe you bind it with a 203k like you're going to live in it right which is the construction loan right is that the fha the right. government sponsored okay. construction loan that you're going to live in or government backed mortgage so you're going to buy it you're going to fix it up but you don't really want to like rent it out under that fha so you mm -hmm. refinance to like a conventional, mm -hmm. and then you balance. But in that case, what you may have to do is prove to the lender your amount of improvement. So that's, that's right, because you want to get that higher value. You want to get the higher value. So okay. if you do it fast, like let's say you bought today, mm -hmm. and then by May 1st you will refinance, they will say, okay, how did you force that much equity that fast? But you can show it. Okay. So we used to do that. We used to, when we were doing the lower scale properties, like we would flip them 30, 45 days. Mm -hmm. We would have to prove seasoning. It's about showing before and after. Got it. Yes. So, but typically, if you bought it in an LLC, yeah. it's a totally different mortgage process oh, where you don't have to do all that paperwork we're talking about. Really? So, a lot of times for a traditional birth, the house is probably not livable, right? Okay. So, you mm -hmm. couldn't get a conventional loan anyway because mm -hmm. it has to be livable. Got to have heat, refrigerator, stove. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you're going to buy it, you're going to use let's say hard money or private money, mm -hmm. you're going to fix it up. Some lenders require it to be rented. Some lenders just need to see a lease. Right. Some lenders just need to see what the market rents are renting, what the market rent is. Mm -hmm. So once you finish renovating it, you're going to start to go through the refinance process while you're finding a tenant. Okay. And because you had that construction loan, <laughs> it's like a whole new, now your as-is value, you've increased your, your ARV is now your as is. Mm. This is what my house is now worth because I've done this. And so when you go into that LLC loan, they ask you questions. Would you buy it for how many improvements? What improvements did you do? Mm. Maybe show the before and after pictures. But they'll give you that, that value of what it's worth then. Gotcha. Which then allows you to recoup a big portion, if not all, of what you had to come out of pocket with as far as your down payment, potentially closing costs. 
stuff like that. So that that's not that's not hard. I mean, that's not hard. No, that 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 loan is easy. Gotcha. That loan is easy. As long as you got above like a 620, 660, and you show the improvements and your values are true, um, and you don't have any bankruptcy, bankruptcy. you got to have an equity. You can always refi, but you might not get the money back. Right. So Burr doesn't really say this should be like a this should be buy, renovate, rent, refinance, get your refund. They don't put the refund. <laughs> That's the true bird. Get now, the refund, then what, do it over again. Now what if I am so like um one of the situations was a house that I lived in, right? I live it, I lived in it. Now I have a tenant in it, but I still have my mortgage as if it's my property. You should have refinanced before you moved out. But this was in the recession. This just, was still when I was, it was oh, in the Oh, your value was so, too low. Okay, yes. So, okay. yes, I couldn't refinance because the okay. value was too low. Okay. So, you know, I knew I didn't want to stay in there. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I opted to just go buy me a whole other house. And okay. I put a tenant in there and whatever was going to happen was going to happen. But I felt my thing was, let me just make sure I have something else. Yep. Because it was just, I didn't know what was going to happen with that. And because I was stuck in that loan, that was the countrywide and all that stuff, right? Okay. So now that properties have kind of gone up, I do want to refinance. But now I have to refinance it as, I guess, an investment, an investment property. property. So that changed percentages or something. I felt like I had to have more value. Have than more yes. Yeah. Which then that became the issue. So it was yeah. like, well, okay, yeah, the pricing is kind of, it's gone up, but it's not up enough. Right. So it's like, how do you, how can you, the refi thing just seems really strange. Even with my other house, like, like you said, it has to be such a significant amount of mm -hmm. equity that it's like if you didn't buy really, really low, right? When can you or how can you refi? It's like you're kind of stuck a little bit. You are kind of stuck unless you. Or unless like, I pay the difference, like they yep. just say you could pay the difference, which I think may have been. And I have a buddy who did that. He he was real down on four one ks. It was right before, it was kind of between like 07 and at the bottom, like March of 09. Okay. So the market was going down. And he was like, man, I'm just going, a variation. I'm just going to take, he had like 95,000 in his 401k. Okay. And he owed like 100,000 on his house. Okay. He said, man, I'm just going to take out this 95,000 and pay my house. Mm. So at least I'm going to realize an immediate gain right. to this money. Right. He was switching jobs. He just took it out. He paid the taxes, but he paid off his house. Mm. I think you always got to assess. Like, if you have assets in other places, it has to be, can I pull this asset? What's the cost of me pulling this asset to reposition it over here? Mm. What's the cost benefit, right? Mm. So if you had, so let's say you bought an Oak Creek at 600000 you need to be at $480,000 loan balance to refile. <laughs> And you still still have five ninety, yeah. So you need one hundred and ten. It's like, well, is there some place I can pull one hundred and ten from? Maybe not pay taxes, mm -hmm. take it, borrow it against my four hundred one k, or you know what have you, or get an unsecured line of credit from a bank at with you know X percentage. Is it worth the reduction in interest rate that I'm going to get by being able to refinance over here? You always got to like look. It's like asset management, yeah, so to speak, yeah. But that's the only way. It's the only I mean, way. Yeah. That refi is very true. I'm going to figure it out. Yep. But I'm trying to get creative about, like, 
I do, I think I may be like between 20 and 50, y'all. And it's not really, it doesn't, like the current loan isn't, it's not bad, you know, okay. but it's What's just like, uh, right now it's at, so it's, it's a, it's an arm, so okay. it's adjustable rate, but it had, um, thanks to Obama, it had adjusted down. So right. I went from like 6% back then to um, 2.75%. For how long? For years, it kept me at 2.75%. Oh. But yeah, keep in mind, I'm young and didn't know what, none of, I didn't understand interest rates at all. Okay. I just saw my my <laughs> my rent, I mean, my mortgage went from, let's say, like 21 something to at one point, it may have been seven, 800 bucks. Oh, man. But I was so mad. I should have. So in theory, I should have. <laughs> now, for a while, as they had gone there, I, I kept paying, kept paying, and I could have. But I was so mad at the property because it was in, it was upside down. Because right. again, I, did, I just didn't understand. I just thought it was so unfair that I had right. spent all this money and dropped over 100000 in 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 um in value, and it didn't seem like it was ever going to go up. Like, at one right. point, it was like, well, it might take another 30 years before it goes down. Right. I was like, what? Right. So I was so mad that I. So that's the walking place, yeah, walking place. Yeah, walking place. Okay. And so, but but in all that, you learn. You know, I've learned learned a lot, and I did actually end up paying off quite a bit because of the interest rate. But now, you know, it's, it adjusts every six months. Now it's at um, like four percent, four point okay. seven five. Okay. So it's still not bad, but it's like you just never know what it's going to do. Right. It's so two, it's two trains of thought. It's like cash is king on one hand. Yeah. But then it's like, while well, my interest rate is so low, that just means just, more of my money is going to go towards that principal. There you go. More. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. you know, I guess you, you're right, though. I guess you have to evaluate. Right. You just have to evaluate and figure out. Yeah, on an ongoing basis. On an ongoing basis. Yeah, and some can't just be like, you know, at least annually, but, you know, maybe quarterly. Like, yeah. let me see what I got. Yeah, reevaluate. You know, where am I at? Okay, if I just, you know, move this little bit over here, this might cost me 200 but it's going to save me 400 To say, is that can that include Ozone? Yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, that's why you know. Nah, I was gonna say D. What's yeah, that? yeah, yep. Okay, uh, yeah. D Street. That was a condo conversion. Condo conversion. Mm -hmm. That was a four unit apartment building. We kept it as four because of the zoning, we had to keep it as four. Only. What was the highest block in DC in the 90s? 18th of D Street. 18th and D, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's a good one. 18th and D. Yep. That was a that was a that was a good one. So you been shout out to Sean. Gotta give him some credit. Yeah. Oh, give him all the credit. He's it was my boy. He found the property. He had a uh he had a connect with the seller mm -hmm. and he just brought it to me and was like, Can we partner on it? So even after the breakdown of 50 50 at the very end, it was still the best. It was still the highest one. We, we, we bought it for 800 we ended up putting 900 in and after selling all the condos plus parking spaces we sold it for like 2.7 wow yeah so that was a good one that, that was a good we were lucky in it too that the seller let us we went on the contract in february of 
17. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have to close till December 31st of 17. Mm -hmm. So we could work on our permit the whole time while we didn't have holding costs. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that was, that's that's what I'm going to say, 1848 D Street. That was the best one. Yeah. Okay. What's okay. ironic is after everybody moved in, in like May of 19, they like got shot up. What you mean? The building has building building had bullet holes. Dang! Yeah. After they people had bullet holes, <laughs> <laughs> they were reminded. No, well, you you none of those thing. people live there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so selling shit. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 All right. All right. Next next question. Um, what has been like your favorite project to work on? What was like your because I know you you like you you're really into the design and you seem to like really like cool different designs especially with when you're doing your remodel. So what's like one of your your favorite project that you just? I, I know his favorite. Our favorite part is like it's uh twelve twenty four Tower Street, so so it's at Anacostia. Mm. Okay. And uh, we had uh we would renovate. We went to DCRA trying to get an addition, working with Kermit for like six months couldn't get it. So um, I just, at the top of Tower Street, there's some condos that have rooftop decks. Mm. So I had one of our guys go on our roof and asked him to send me a picture of the view. Mm. So he just got on the ladder, got up on the roof, and he called me. He didn't send me, he was like, no, we got to put a deck on the top. Mm. So we went back to DCRA, changed the permit, got a rooftop deck, and so we built a house at Anacostia. It was massive, probably. The deck was the whole size of the roof. Yeah, it's probably wow. six, 700 square foot. Wow. Two-level deck. With wow, a two-level deck on top of the roof? Yep. Wow. And we ran gas up there, ran electric up there. They wanted to you see like everything. That stadium. Ooh. Mine that's, what, that's what we made the picture. The mm. first picture on okay. my left. Okay. Yeah. yeah, of course. That'll make me click. That'll make me click. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, then that was five years ago. And we that was the first property in Anacostia we sold the property. Amazing. Okay. Now, my favorite. Uh -huh. oh, and it is oh, one of my favorites. But that wasn't your favorite. Okay. My favorite, and I'm not saying this because you're here, okay. is going to be 1417K. Uh, I personally had the architect like move some stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I need to see it come to fruition. And what's crazy okay. is those those properties have opposing views. Like this is oh, actually okay. on the opposite side of the river from the Tower Street one. So. Yeah. But you can still see all the same stuff. Yeah, the rooftop one there, the plans, the rooftop looks incredible. Yeah. Okay, what's the what's one of what project took the longest to complete? <laughs> like, what's the longest project you've ever got stuck in? We just put it on the market yesterday. South Dakota. South Dakota. How long had you been in it? We bought it in sixteen. Twenty sixteen. It might have been November of fifteen. 2015. It was 16. 16. 15, 16. Either way, I don't care. 15 or 16. Yeah. Wow, you felt, and you all had to hold it. Was there? Well, we have a great lender. Okay. We had it's a private lender. He lends out of his retirement account. Wow. Yeah. That's a hell of a retirement account. Yeah. <laughs> now we didn't pay nothing for it. Oh, see, no. that's the beauty. We ain't okay. paid pay the 300 for it. Okay. So we only paid 300 for it. When it's all said and done, we might have right around the low twos in. Okay. Uh, right around 200. It's on the market for 850. Okay. Um, so I hold it cost, and then he only charges us interest on what he's lent it. So the mm -hmm. first probably year was getting it permitted. That's mm -hmm. why it took so long. Okay. And then after that, we had a contractor that was no good and ended up getting arrested mm -hmm. for construction fraud. So that held us up. 
So we had some major holdups on the project, but once we took it over and finished the construction, it's a beautiful project. Right. So what made you, why, why, like, how do you determine, like, okay, this is a project I'm going to hold on to for the next five years versus, like, okay, maybe we should cut our losses on it? What made you hold it? Because of the price. I mean, so oh, like, what price? We lend them. Yeah, okay. okay. And we didn't pay nothing for it compared to what everybody else pays for. Mm -hmm. So we're paying a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars less. We're still all right. Got it. All right, between the both of you, who has the most personality? It's both. They both. Both. Everybody has big personalities. Yeah. Okay, two big personalities. Right. Right. Big, big, two big. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next question. Have you have you all ever gotten to a fight over about a property? Like, have you ever got to a fight place where like y'all because you guys are two big personalities? So yeah, yeah. we've never clashed? gotten to the point where we had to be separated. Okay. We've never cussed at each other, really. I mean, we agree to disagree all the time. I mean, there might be some MFs. <laughs> okay. It okay. Was, okay. And then, and then because, without endearment. Because okay. we believe <laughs> you know that word can be used. And We know how to agree to disagree, except the fact that one of us has to win and that one is just gonna do what they want to do anyway. <laughs> but but yeah. we know that we're not gonna put the other person up in harm's way. Okay. So it's just it's just you gotta take it. You gotta take it on the chin. You should have done a better job. Okay, so what? Your fault. Move on. Yeah. Now, how I know, Reggie, you were in like you've been in a lot of different jobs. So, mm -hmm. like by far, would you consider what you're doing with DC Invest? Is this like by far your favorite job of all time? Even though this isn't really a job, but you know, of all the different industries and ownership over various um, industries that you've had, yep. is this like your favorite? So it's tied. Okay, so what's okay, tied with this two. one? It's tied with this one and the insurance agency. Oh, DMV insurance agency, right across the hall, by oh, the way. Okay, I know you need some homeowners in Dole Creek. True, <laughs> they, need, they need a little insurance. They might need but what makes what, what is the, what's uh great, what's similar between the two is that it's just the two of my brothers. So I got Marcus here at DC Investment, and over there is my brother Kerry. So it's really the people that I work with, not so much the actual day-to-day -day or the job function, so to speak. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm building this with him, I'm building that with him, with Carrie, and they both, both are great. Okay. Yeah. Now, who, like, what's more annoying to deal with, contractors or, like, potential clients who are buying and selling property? What's the most annoying, would you say? Because, like you said, contract, you have one contractors. It do, is it really tough to find like a good contractor? That's why the mm. Yeah, I agree. And then the other contractors that we deal with, one is a good friend of ours who we used to be in business with us, but we really trained him. And he knows how to work with us, we know how to work with him. And he's got a great crew. Another contractor, Reggie mentioned earlier, Sean, he's like at our level as an investor as well. So that's okay. why it's easy. So he's like me, like he's. High level investor, but high level contractor too. So he knows the ins and outs. Um, but they are very um, downright disrespectful to a lot of things that they do because they're ungoverned. The contract company, if you are, nobody will do nothing about it because they, cause they still broke. So if you sue them, they don't have no money. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, they, they, 
DC does a terrible job of government contracts. They really mm. do. But that's why they're trying to lock. And it's crazy. They lock down on the property owner, not the contractor. Mm. But uh, contract will hands down. It's good. Um, so here's my, here's my number one issue with contractors. Okay. Is they are always, always so pressed to get that deposit in demo. Right. Because <laughs> the demo is like how they justify the deposit. Oh, okay. But then demo was like nothing. So, for example, in D.C., right, so I, I was talking to an architect who we work with. He was like, man, I need to get this demo permit. I need to do these drawings and get this demo permit for this other contractor. But with DCRA being kind of shut down, you can't walk in, you know, could you help him? I was like, yeah, I was like, what you need? He said, man, I just need this demo permit um, for this contractor so he can get started. I was like, well, where are you in the building permit? He said, well, I haven't even submitted for the building permit. But the contractor's pressing me out. My comp, my client's contractor's pressing me out for this demo permit. I'm like, no. He wants the demo permit so he can charge the client a deposit. So then he can just, he's he going to charge it. I was like, say the construction is 100000 He's going to charge 20 Gs deposit. Do $3,000 worth of cost to him in demo. But he got $20,000. Then he just going to sit and be like, I'm waiting on the building permit. Oh, wow. Yikes. Right? In the meantime, DC inspector going to drive by and be like, oh, your house is vacant. Here's mm. a fine. Oh, your house is blighted. Here's a fine. They just always want a demo. And I'm experiencing this now because we've been trying to make some inroads just for lower price points for some of my investor partners in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And the contractors I've been meeting out with there, they keep asking me, when are you going to sell me? When can I get a deposit? I want to start demo. I can start demo while you waiting on your permit. I'm yeah. like, no, I'm not sitting here with this empty house right. for months. I don't know how long it's going to take to get the permit. Yeah. My house is livable now. I'm going to keep it livable with the higher value mm -hmm. until we're ready to do construction. Yeah. I'm not going to let you demo that my house sits butt naked for three months, four wow. months, a year if it's D.C. <laughs> and you got you sitting on Jeez. my deposit money doing nothing. Jeez. Right? So that's that's my biggest gripe with contractors right now is just that deposit money just to demo. Now, yeah, if I got my building permit, oh, let's roll. Mm -hmm. But I don't have my building permit yet. Just chill. Thanks. If you got another job, go ahead and start. All right, two more and I'm done. Um, where's where's the easiest to flip at? D.C., Maryland, Virginia? And are you all looking at other states? If you could flip anywhere else or check out any other markets, what would you look at? So easiest is Maryland. Okay. Agree? Yeah. Yep. Easiest. All because of the permit. Okay. Construction is the same everywhere. Okay. You got to build a house according to universal building standards, all of that good stuff. Okay. So, Maryland. permitting is the thing. I don't have a lot of experience in, in the Commonwealth, okay. so <laughs> I'm assuming it's a little more rigorous. Okay. That's just my expectation. Got it. Um, so, that's, a, that's the answer to your first question is Maryland. We are looking at Baltimore, which is Maryland. Mm -hmm. But we also uh, got some fields. We have an agent that's working on our behalf in Chicago. Got it. Okay. And last question is, well, Marcus, so Marcus, you kind of started and you learned this stuff really like a long time ago. About how long have you like gotten all this, you know, been, when did you start, I guess? Well, my first property in 02. Okay. We did our first flip. No, we, we both did our first rentals in O2. Okay. Uh, we were realtors and loan officers both after that till 
07, I let my real estate license go. Only did a couple of loans, and then we I bought our first flip in 07. So it's been 13 years. 18 years in investing. Okay. What how important is a mentor when you if you're gonna get started? Because I know there's probably a lot of like first-time people, a lot of people that really want to get out here, but they're looking for a mentor. So how important is that versus just maybe like going just take the knowledge you have and try what you know. Um, and then how can people get you guys as their mentors? And Cause I mean, you guys are pretty busy. So, so I'll how does that process so work? I the first or do, should I just do it on my own? When, <laughs> well, I'm, when it's all going south, do I call you there? Or like, what, what, how does this work? 100% don't do it yourself. 100% you need a mentor, period. It's okay. not a single person that we know in this business that doesn't have a mentor. Would you agree? Oh yeah, for sure. Every single successful real estate investor has a mentor. Whether it's somebody they pay that you see on TV every night, or it's just another investor in the market and they did some deals together and showed them the way. Everybody does. Everybody. We do. All of our uh, joint venture partners do. Um, Even all of the strategic partners, the realtors have a mentor. Yep. Uh, contractors have a men have a mentor, somebody they work with. Yep. You, know, you have to, because number one, you don't want to take all the lumps. In the lumps that you do take, you want to know how to deal with those objections. And if you don't have that resource to leverage, you won't fall hard. And then you'll be one of those people, albeit the investor, albeit the contractor, that's ripping people off just to make ends. So how would so if because I would say I tell people that ask me, can you be my mentor? I always say like your mentor should choose you, right? Like because if you're someone like me and even you guys, you probably get people like, can you mentor me? Mentor me. But it's like, it still has to be a good fit. Yep. You shouldn't just mentor right. anybody and you shouldn't just ask anybody for mentorship. So how do you guys go about the process of mentorship? And how, is that open to any and everybody? And how do you decide who you would like to mentor? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, it's not formal. Okay. It's very informal based on what you are doing how active you are, how involved you are, how engaged you are in the process of really learning the craft. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people say, I want help. We actually have a program for first-time investors. We call it the membership. Um, and there are some that are way more active than others. And there are some who text me all the time and they're like, hey, can you help me analyze this deal so I know what to send you? I know exactly how to target what you're looking for, stuff like that. So the more engaged somebody is, the more I give back naturally. So I hear what you're saying about mentor choosing you, but I think you can, anybody is open to choose me as long as this, as long as they, because I don't want to say it like this, but it's like, if they're pouring into like our business, I have no alternative but to like pour back into them. Right. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if they're gonna wait for me to pour into them first, right, right. like you said, I'm busy. Yeah. Right. And so that's 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 gonna be difficult. But you know, one of our partners he always used to say, make yourself an asset. Mm -hmm. So if you making yourself an asset to me, mm -hmm. I have I I mean I have no choice but to reciprocate. I love that. I think that's a great way to go out. Make yourself an asset. If you're gonna ask for help <laughs> Make sure you're helpful. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hold on, we got rapid fire questions too. Okay, yeah. You are right. yes. No, right. no we um, got about to be kicked off. We're about to be kicked off. What? All right, one. They give you one thing they don't know about Andy Anderson. 
Nobody one, knows. One thing nobody knows about me, um, that is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when you're on the radio, everybody just know everything about you. <laughs> or they think they know everything about you anyway. So they just go rock and roll. Um, but yeah, I, let me see. I'm not. I'm probably one of the most boring people you will ever meet, you know, which is crazy. I'm on the radio. I got a big personality, and I'm extremely boring. I am not nearly as fun. So you want to know one real thing? Like you ever heard me like live in a club? It sound like I'm. It's popping. I was usually in the corner sleeping. Just with a mic. Yeah. I would just like I was so. I was just like so. You know, sometimes you can do with your eyes closed. Yeah. I could make a party sound. There would be nobody in the club because I would do something I do early. Right. Nobody in the club, just me, the DJ, the mic. I would be in a corner <laughs> sleep. Right. Right. Oh yeah, we live. <laughs> it's your birthday. Thanks for the drink, and I'm not drinking. That's the other thing. <laughs> Everybody has a 